Chapter Three of The Wanderer, or Female Difficulties. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Wanderer, or Female Difficulties, by Fanny Burney. Chapter Three. The Admiral immediately repaired to the stranger. Young woman, he cried, I hope you don't take it into your mind that I was more disposed to serve you while I thought you of foreign culture than now I know you to be of our own growth. If I came forwarder then, it was only because I was afraid that those who have had less occasion than I have had to get the upper hand of their prejudices would keep backwarder. The stranger bowed her thanks. But as to me, he continued, I have had the experience of what it is to be in a strange land, and moreover a prisoner, in which time I came to an agreement with myself, a person over whom I keep a pretty tight hand. Because why? If I don't the devil will. So I came, I say, to an agreement with myself, to remember all the ill usage I then met with, as a memento to forbear exciting in others those black passions which sundry unhandsome tricks excited, in those days, in myself. Observing her breakfast to be utterly neglected, he demanded, with an air of some displeasure, whether she had no longing to taste the food of her mother country again. The fullness of her mind, she answered, had deprived her of appetite. "'Poor girl! Poor woman!' cried he, compassionately, for I hardly know which to call you, those cap-flounces upon the cheeks making a young woman look no better than an old one. However, be you which you may, I can't consent to see you starve in a land of plenty, which would be a base ingratitude to our Creator, who, in dispensing the most to the upper class, grants us the pleasure of dispensing the overplus, ourselves, to the underclass, which I take to be the true reason of providence for ordering that difference between the rich and the poor, as most like we shall all find when we come to give in our accounts in the other world. He then inquired what it was she intended to do, adding, I don't mean as to your secrets, because they are what I have no right to meddle with, though I disapprove your having any, they being of little service, except to keep foul deeds from the light for what is fair loves to be above board. Besides, as every thing is sure to come out, sooner or later, it only breeds suspicion and trouble for nothing, to procrastinate telling to-day with your own free will, what you may certain will be known to-morrow, or next day, with or without it. Don't be discomposed, however, for I don't say this by way of a sift, nor yet for a reproach, I merely drop it as a piece of advice." and I should be happy, sir, to endeavour to deserve it, by frankly explaining my situation, but that the least mistake, the smallest imprudence, might betray me to insupportable wretchedness. Why, then, if that's the case, you are very right to hold your tongue. If the law never makes a person condemn himself, much less ought a little civility. There are dangers enough in the world without running risks out of mere compliment." Then, putting his guinea before her, upon the table, he charged her to keep it unbroken till she set out, assuring her that he should himself order whatever she could require for her dinner, supper, and lodging, and settle for the whole with the landlord, as well as with the bookkeeper for her journey to London. The stranger seemed almost overpowered with gratitude, but interrupting what she attempted to say, "'No thankings,' 
he cried. Young woman, it is a bad sign when a good turn surprises a person. I have not escaped such a hard fare with my body, to leave my soul behind me, though God knows I may forget it all fast enough. There is no great fear of mortal man's being too good. Then, wishing her farewell, he was quitting the room, but thoughtfully turning back again. Before we part, he said, it will be but Christian-like to give you a hint for your serious profit. In whatever guise you may have demeaned yourself, up to this present date, which is a solution I don't mean to meddle with, I hope you'll always conduct yourself in a becoming manner, for the rest of your days, in remembrance of your great good fortune, in landing safely upon this happy shore. He was going, but the incognita stopped him, and again the dark hue of her skin was inadequate to disguise the deep blushes that were burning upon her cheeks, as she replied, I see, sir, through all your benevolence, that you believe me to be one of those unhappy persons whose misfortunes have been the effect of their crimes. I have no way to prove my innocence, and assertion may but make it seem more doubtful, yet— You are right, you are right, interrupted he. I am no better of assertions. They are but a sort of cheap coinage to make right and wrong pass current together. I find I have been too quick— she answered, in thinking myself happy, to receive bounty under so dreadful a suspicion, proves me to be in a desolate state indeed. Young woman, said the admiral, in a tone approaching to severity, don't complain. We must all bear what we have earned. I can't but see what you are, though it's what I won't own to the rest of the crew. Who think a flaw in the character excuse plenty for letting a poor weak female starve alive? for which, to my seeming, they deserve to want a crust of bread themselves. But I hope I know better than that where the main fault is apt to lie. For I am not ignorant how apt our sex is to misbehave to yours, especially in slighting you, if you don't slight them. A thing not to be defended, either to God or man. But for all that, young woman, I must make free to remark that the devil himself never yet put it into a man's head, nor into the world's neither, to abandon, or leave, as you call it, desolate, a woman who has kept tight to her own duty, and taken a modest care of herself. The eyes of the stranger were now no longer bright from their mere natural luster, nor from the beams of quick surprise, or of sudden vivacity. Twas with trembling emotion that they shone, and with indignation that they sparkled. She took up the guinea, from which her sight seemed averted with horror, and said, "'Pardon me, sir, but I must beg you to receive this again.' "'Why, what now, do you think, because I make no scruple to give you an item that I don't fancy being imposed upon? Do you think, I say, because of that, I have so little Christian charity, as not to know that you may be a very good sort of woman in the main, for all some flaunty coxcomb may have played the scoundrel, and left you to the wide world, after teaching you to go so awry, that he knows the world will forsake you too?' a thing for which, however, he'll pay well in time, as I make no doubt but the devil takes his own notes of all such actions. She now cast the guinea upon the table. "'I would rather, sir,' she cried, "'beg alms of every passenger that I may meet, than owe succour to a species of pity that dishonours me.' The admiral looked at her with earnestness. "'I don't well know,' he said, "'what class to put you in.' 
but if you are really a virtuous woman, to be sure I ought to ask your pardon for that little hint I let drop, and moreover, if I asked it upon my knees, I can't say I should think it would be over much for affronting a virtuous woman without cause. And indeed, if I were free to confess the truth, I must own there's something about you, which I don't overmuch know what to call, but that is so agreeable that it goes against me to think ill of you. Ah, sir, think well of me, then. Let your benevolence be as liberal as it is kind, and try, for once, to judge favourably of a stranger upon trust. Well, I will, I will, then. If you have the complaisance to wish for my good opinion, I will, cried he, nodding while his eyes glistened. Though it's not my general method, I can tell you, young woman, to go the direct opposite road to my understanding. But out of the way, as things may look, you seem to me, in the main, to be an innocent person. So pray, ma'am, don't refuse to accept this little token of my good will. The countenance of the stranger exhibited strong indecision. He enjoined her, however, to keep the guinea, and, after struggling vainly to speak, she sighed and seemed distressed but complied. He nodded again, saying, "'Be of good cheer, my dear. Nothing comes of being faint-hearted. I give you my promise I'll see you in town. And, if I find that you turn out to be good, or, moreover, if you turn good, after having, unluckily, been the other thing, I'll stand your friend. You may depend upon it.' With a look of mingled kindness and concern, he then left the room. And here, shocked, yet relieved, and happy, however forlorn, she remained, till a waiter brought her a fowl, a tart, and a pint of white wine, according to commands issued by the Admiral. She then heard that the whole of the boat-party had set off for London, except Mrs. Ireton, the sick lady, who did not think herself sufficiently recovered to travel till the next day, and who had inquired for some genteel young lady to attend her to town but she was so difficult the waiter said to please that she had rejected half a dozen candidates who had been presented to her successively she seemed very rich he added for she ordered things at a great rate though she found fault with them as fast as they were carried to her but what had put her the most out of humour of all was that the young gentleman her son had set off without her in a quarrel which was not however so much to be wondered at for the maids of the two other ladies said that the gentlewoman was of so aggravating a humour that nobody could live with her, which had provoked her own woman to leave her short in France, and hire herself to a French lady. The little repast of the stranger was scarcely over, when the waiter brought her word that the sick lady desired to see her upstairs. Extremely surprised, she demanded for what purpose. He answered that a seventh young person with whom he had taken into the lady's room, with an offer to serve her, upon being sharply treated, had as sharply replied, which had so affronted her that she had ordered that no one else should be brought into her presence, though in two minutes more she had rung the bell, said she was too ill to be left alone, and bid him fetch her the woman who came over from France. The stranger, at first, refused to obey this imperious summons but the wish of placing herself under female protection during her journey presently conquered her repugnance, and she accompanied the messenger back. Mrs. Ireton was reclining upon an easy chair, still somewhat disordered from her voyage, though by no means as much in need of assistance for her shattered frame 
as for amusement for her restless mind. "'So,' she cried, "'you are here still. Pray, if I may ask so confidential a question, what acquaintance may you have found in this inn, the waiters or the grooms?' "'I was told, madam, that you had some commands for me.' "'Oh, you are in haste, are you? You want to be shooing off those patches and bandages, perhaps?' You won't forget a veil, I hope, to preserve your white skin. Not but twould be a pity to make any sort of change in your dress, tis so prodigiously tasty. The stranger, offended, was now moving off, but calling her back. Did not the waiter, Mrs. Ireton demanded, give you to understand that I sent for you? Yes, madam, and therefore— well, and what do you suppose it was for, to let you open and shut the door just to give me all the cold wind of the passages? You suppose it was for that, do you? You surmise that I have a passion for the toothache? You conclude that I delight in sneezing, coughing, and a stuffed-up nose? I am sorry, madam. Or perhaps you think me so robust that it would be kind to give me little indisposition to prevent my growing too boisterous. You may deem my strength and health to be overbearing and be so good as to intend making me more delicate, you may be of opinion that it would render me more interesting. Indeed, madam. Or you fancy that a friendly catar might be useful, in furnishing me with employment, from ordering water-gruel, and balm-tea, and barley-water, and filling up my leisure in devising successive slops. The difficulty of being heard made the stranger now cease to attempt speaking and Mrs. Ireton, after sundry similar interrogatories, angrily said, "'So you really don't think fit to initiate me into your motives for coming to me, without troubling yourself to learn mine for admitting you into my presence?' "'On the contrary, ma'am, I desire—oh, I am mistaken, am I? It's on the contrary, is it? You are vastly kind to set me right, vastly kind indeed. Perhaps you purpose to give me a few lessons of behaviour. I am so wholly at a loss, madam, why I have been summoned, that I can divine no reason why I should stay. I beg, therefore, to take my leave. Again she was retreating, but Mrs. Ireton, struck by her courage, began to conceive that the mystery of her birth and business might possibly terminate in a discovery of her belonging to a less abject class than her appearance announced and therefore, though firmly persuaded that what might be diminished in poverty, would be augmented in disgrace, her desire was so inflamed to develop the secret, that, softening her tone, she asked the young person to take a chair, and then entered into discourse with some degree of civility. Yet with all this restraint, inflicted upon a nature that, to the privilege of uttering whatever it suggested, claimed that of hearing only what it liked, she could gather no further intelligence than that the stranger had received private information of the proposed sailing of the vessel in which they all came over. But her birth, her name, her connections, her actual situation, and her object in making the voyage, resisted inquiry, eluded insinuation, and baffled conjecture. Nevertheless, her manners were so strikingly elevated above her attire, that, notwithstanding the disdain with which, in the height of her curiosity, Mrs. Ireton surveyed her mean apparel, and shrunk from her dusky skin, she gave up her plan of seeking for any other person to wait upon her, during her journey to town, and told the incognita that, if she could make her dress a little less shocking, she might relinquish her place in the stage-coach 
to occupy one in a post-chaise. To avoid new and untried risks, in travelling wholly alone, the stranger acceded to this proposal, and immediately, by the assistance of the maid of the inn, appropriated the guinea of the admiral to purchase decent clothing, though of the cheapest and coarsest texture. The next morning they set off together for London. End of chapter 3 Recording by Roxana Nazari